Welcome to the Girl Dad Show, a professional parenting podcast. Each month, I interview entrepreneurs, leaders, and professionals who are balancing parenthood, life, and profession in the hopes to learn what it takes to be an amazing professional parent. Today on the Girl Dad Show, I'm interviewing Pavel Sokolovsky. We talk about moving your family with kids and raising them in a network of community uh, family members and teaching them resilience. It's going to be a great show. I hope you enjoy it. Pavel, what's going on, man? Thank you for joining me on my show today. Pleasure to be here. Hey, thanks for taking the time. Let's jump right into it. Why don't you tell the listeners what you do for a living? That's actually a hard question. It shouldn't be, but it is. I I think the best way to describe what I do for a living is um, I have the the privilege of being surrounded by entrepreneurial people, and I get to work with them in any way possible to help move things forward for their businesses. Um, So I'm I'm in this fortunate position because I had a a business that I um, built and sold, during the early part of the 2010s and um, have since been able to figure out, hey, I really love being around entrepreneurial people. I really love getting my hands dirty and doing work. And so if I get to do that all day, every day, I'm happy. That's a great career for me. And so that's how I try to spend my time. That's awesome. And then so are you uh, just um, working on uh, coaching, advising, consulting, a little bit of everything? What's that mean for you? So most recently, that's actually turned into a, a full-time um, operating role with a company that I had originally invested in um, during mid-2020, and uh, nice. I serve as the chief marketing officer for that company. It's called NutriSense. Nice. And then are you um, a, a marketing guy by trade, or what's the, uh, what's the normal shtick before you were able to kind of dabble into this world of uh, supporting other entrepreneurs and builders? Another great question. I think, no, I'm not really. I'm kind of a pretend marketer. Um, <laughs> I learned a lot about marketing, specifically digital marketing, and and you know um, selling things on the internet because my my business um, that I mentioned earlier is called eComfort.com. We sell heating and air conditioning equipment directly to consumers online, and so the path to doing that requires you know understanding how websites work, how conversion funnels work, how to bring traffic to a website, and so a lot of that's marketing. You know, my role was not marketing, but it was such a big component of what we did that I learned a lot of it, and it's something that I've I've taken an interest in for sure. What made you do that? I, I don't. I, yeah, like that's a really interesting business. Did, did your did your parents um, uh, bring you up in that in that sector or field? What made you start that business? Yeah, that's definitely how it came about. Um, so I can tell the, the the highlights of the story here. So in December two thousand seven, I graduated from um, university, and I did a really terrible job interviewing and trying to get a job anywhere. And I ended up working for my family's small business, which is a heating and air conditioning. Uh, service and installation company. Almost all of our revenue was from multi-unit residential and like commercial new construction. So we were out there as a subcontractor building HVAC systems in buildings in the Chicago area. Nice. And then if you remember what happened in 2008, it was this you know big problem in real estate and construction. And we were sort of in the, in the middle of it, but also in like the worst version of the middle of it where our, our suppliers are bigger than us, our customers are bigger than us, and we just kind of get squeezed. Um, it was an excellent learning experience. I think uh, that's, that's what you call it when you don't get what you want. Out of that, out of that industry experience, um, met a co-founder who came from distribution, and together in 2010, we launched eComfort.com, selling uh, HVAC equipment direct to consumer online. That's amazing. I'm like getting into the service side business, uh, so it's like really interesting to hear your backstory. I can't wait to like. Uh unpack that a little bit more next time we have dinner. But uh, we'll save that for another conversation, given the fact that this is actually about you being a parent. So uh, let's let's move gears a little bit and talk to us about your kids. Yeah. So I have two daughters, girl dad, just like you. Girl dad. Ages two and ages four. Um, and they're great. 
love them, love them very much. They're they're now Texans very much. Both born in Chicago though. Um, living down here in Austin is great for them. They get to spend a lot of time outside. Um, they go to school together, um, you know, preschool together. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, I get to hang out with them all the time. So life's good. So uh, when did you move to um, Austin? So we did like a, a little stutter step where uh, October of 2020, we didn't move here. We kind of just came down for six months to avoid the Chicago winter. Um, <laughs> and then it turns out we liked it here. So we ended up staying yeah. for, I think, eight months or so. Came back to Chicago for the summer, but had at that point made the decision that we, we are going to moved to Austin and we bought a home here. Mm-hmm. And then so October of 21, we came back officially and, and really settled into our new home. We've been here less than a year, I guess, officially, but also, you know, we've, we've been here most of 2021. Uh, really like it here. Yeah. And I mean, Chicago winters are rough. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a painful cold. So not, it's not like a normal cold. I don't think people realize how cold it gets there, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's like a physically hurt, hurtful cold. So I could definitely understand the, the drop coming over here during the winter. That makes a lot of sense. So I'll tell you, young, I think the cold is one of the big problems, but um, I think yeah. the one that's less often talked about for, for me is personally is, you know, because I, I work, uh, you know, I was working in an office basically for six months a year, I never saw the sun. And that was the bigger thing. Like it, it really got to me after a while. And so cold is, you know, it's one thing, but the lack of being able to just like spend time outdoors, enjoy the sun that I honestly, like I was under what I call Chicago Stockholm syndrome. We're all, all we all tell each other, like, it's okay. It's worth it because the summers are so awesome. But then once I finally spent one winter, not in Chicago winter, I was like, I don't want to make this trade anymore. I want to, I want to do something different. In the <laughs> I have a handful of new Chicago friends, so I can't wait for them to watch this or show this to them. That's the funniest thing, uh, funniest way of describing Chicago ever. I love it. It's like the Chicago Stockholm syndrome. There's one caveat though. Yeah. And this is the the deal that I made with my wife. In the summers, we we are not going to stay here in Austin. That's not the plan. We're actually going back up north to either Chicago or New York, where her family is. Yeah. And get a taste of that summer up north, which I think is just spectacular. Uh, my my favorite place ever is Chicago in the summer. Uh, the summers are not pleasant here. They are atrocious here, right? And so, like, it's the inverse where, like, uh, I went swimming last night uh, at, like, 9 o'clock last night. I had some friends over, and our pool, unheated, was, like, 92 degrees. It was, like, not even relaxing. It was so, like, hot and, like not fun i'm like oh my gosh how could this be so warm this is unbelievable to me and so there are some things that are uh, that are very very um um negative about having the heat and the sun here as well too i mean it gets really hot i mean it gets really hot here so i have i have two thoughts here well number one um when i when i first when we were here for that sort of hangout period for six months i was talking to people in austin i'm like how are the summers how are the summers and the, the yeah. very common answer was like they're totally fine as long as you stay really close to water. Like be be in a pool or be in the river and like you're okay. Um, and that reminded me of Chicago Stockholm syndrome. It's like the winters are totally fine <laughs> as long as you stay indoors and just like dream of dream of summer. And uh, I'm like, okay, I, I kind of get this. I get what's going on here. But then the other thing, and this is you know this comes back to parenting. I think part of the big challenge of of braving the Chicago winters is if you have kids who are school aged. Like, can't go anywhere like in december you're there in january you're there in february you're there in hmm. austin the season is shifted and so actually the the time that you can leave the city is the time that coincides with the kids being out of school for the summer kind of is like the inverse in a way that's really functional for parents who you know are able to to get out and go elsewhere 
That's awesome. And then, so is the is the thesis and plan to um, have those two kind of uh, versatile locations, something in the north and something in the south, like depending on the weather, or are you going to try to like have the kid? Because I mean, you could still do that even when they go to like um, elementary school, right? Because I mean, their summer breaks are long and their winter breaks are long, and on, all the way until they get to high school, really. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, I can't remember, but. You could almost pull that off, couldn't you? I think so, but I, you know, I also have the humility to know that I can't predict the future. And like, who knows? Maybe you know, when they're in yeah. second grade, they're just going to yell at me, saying like, "I can't leave my friends this summer. We have to stay here, Dad. Like, this is not cool. What are yeah. you doing to me? You're ruining my yeah. life." So you know, I, I'm expecting all that to, to play out, and we'll see. You know, I have the, the understanding that these are my wishes, not necessarily set in stone plans. Yeah, but the home base now is um, Austin, Texas, from Chicago. Uh, but now you are going to go back for the summer and, and like do New York and, and Chicago and then come back here for the winter and kind of like rotate those things around for now. And I don't think the kids are like that. Well, anyways, that's what all I mean, you we and I have same age kids. So obviously we're both kind of in the same uh, path of like not ex- actually knowing uh, of what's going to happen. But what people have told me is that uh, they don't actually think you're not cool and don't want to hang out with you until they start doing that stuff like in their teenage years. So I think we have like eight more years left before we have to deal with that. Hopefully. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's get into it. So uh, talk to me a little bit about your childhood. How'd you grow up? My family emigrated uh, from the former Soviet Union in 1989 and we ended up in Chicago. Um, so I mostly grew up in, a, you know, quiet, safe suburbs, um, surrounded by a lot of other folks who um, were, were refugees from the former Soviet Union. So a lot, a lot of people in my world kind of had a shared background in that way. Um, we grew up in a, in a you know, good middle-class suburb called Wheeling, Illinois. Had you know, all of the necessities of life handled, so very safe and fortunate in that way. Mm-hmm. I have an older brother, so we grew up together. I have two cousins who are my age. We all basically grew up like in one cohort, hanging out together all the time. Uh, made it really convenient for for all of our parents to be able to kind of trade off and, and take care of us as a group and let us uh, let us learn and grow as a group. Um, and actually, that's, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about my childhood that I want to replicate for my kids is having them sort of surrounded by family and have those strengths, those strong ties uh, that are strengthening over time because they get to spend so much time together and have so many shared experiences. Uh, went to public school, uh, always had I always felt like I had plenty of opportunity to take, you know, all the courses that I wanted, uh, to learn everything I wanted. I was early on the internet, and so I got that exposure and, and all the good and bad that comes with the internet. But I, you know, I dug right in and loved all of it um, from, I'd say, the mid '90s, maybe even the early '90s. It's awesome. Just, just on there. Can you double click on the thing about wanting to, um, you know, have that for your child, uh, children as well? Your childhood about growing up with like family or at least that sense of community, like. Are you are you actively looking to do that here? So do you have, does that mean you're talking your family into moving here too, or what does that mean? Well, so uh, co- coincidentally and fortunately, um, one of the cousins who I mentioned, uh, we we actually did come down here together back in 2020, and they did also decide to stay here, and so we have that today, and it's it's great. Nice. Uh, actually, they just spent a few weeks living at our house while they remodeled theirs, and so the kids were literally like living under one roof um, at that time, and, and had a blast doing it. That's amazing. And are they the same age? Yeah, they're pretty much the same age. So there's, you know, uh, there's four of them total between the ages of two and five. That's amazing, man. I, I can't even imagine how cool that is to have that level of uh, uh, cousins that are also same age. It's like it's like a deeper friendship at that early age. I, I totally know what you mean. I mean, I, ha- I kind of had that growing up as well, too, but more so just because we had a pretty large family and we all lived geocentrically together, kind of like within 25, 30 miles of each other. And 
uh, it was really fun. I mean, I think there's a closeness that you get with um, people your age, but also just being family. Like there's a sense of like um, honesty that comes with that. That's easier to overcome, you know, that's a little faster than being friends with, you know? And so that's an incredible experience. It's fantastic. And I love that you're trying to create that for your family and replicate that. I actually share that same sentiment. I mean, I kind of grew up in the Bay Area um, and it's going to be hard for people to believe, but you know, like 40 years ago, you know, like 40 years ago, um, it used to be pretty bohemian. The Bay Area wasn't what it is everyone thinks it is today, right? It was actually pretty artsy and, you know, it's pretty cool and very culture driven and like food driven, music driven. And it's a very artsy place. And I remember growing up, you know, in like Union City and, um, you know, kind of like the East Bay back then, it was just kind of like smaller towns. I mean, these are huge towns now, but, um, and we like kind of all knew our neighbors and everyone was kind of communal and there's a sense of like suburbs, you know, like that you think of when you think of traditional American uh, suburban, suburban communities and we kind of lost all that. And so mm -hmm. as we started to have our kids, we started to realize we we're missing that. And it's one of the main drivers for not one, not like the main one, but definitely in the top like 10 drivers for wanting to move to Austin was to find like a more neighborhood feel because I really wanted that kind of like that feeling of like community again, which we kind of lost in, in the Bay area over the last, like, I think, I don't want to say like 10 years, really. It's really like more recently, but anyways, that's amazing, man. I love that you're doing that. What other things are you looking to uh, instill in your kids? What am I looking to instill in my kids? I, again, it comes back to the humility thing where like, I think despite my best intents, I'm, I'm going to fail at a lot of the goals that I have for my kids. And so I, I want to have fewer of them and stay more um, thoughtful about, how do I really achieve them? And so like top mm -hmm. on my list, because I believe the future is, is always unpredictable. Um, the thing that I want my kids to really, really develop is resilience is, is the ability mm. to, to take adversity and just deal with it, keep moving forward, continue to, to figure out what is the right next step to take. Um, and I think that's hard because, you know, my, my children also, they yeah. grow up in, uh, I'll be blunt about it, like a life of privilege, right? They, they, they're, yeah. they have, they don't want for anything, right? There's no necessity that they're missing in life. And so how do you build resilience while also not putting somebody in sort of an artificially hostile situation? Um, I don't know the answer to that, but that's, that's kind of my, my struggle as a parent is trying to figure out what's the right balance there to let them fail, let them learn on their own, not try to, you know, not think that I can just tell them like, this is, this is how you do this. Or like, this is the thing that I've learned and they would absorb it. I think they've got to figure it out for themselves. And so my challenge uh, for myself as a, as a parent is figuring out like, what is the right stuff to avoid doing and the right stuff to um, insist on doing that helps kind of guide that middle path? Do you have any thoughts on this? That's a really good question. Yeah, I, I it like rings so true to me, too. I mean, this is like a, a constant battle that I have with my wife. I mean, um, you know, we, we were never like we we're never like, um, you know, hard on money in the sense of like, oh, man, we don't have enough to like fund things. But I will say that, like, we were tight in, in the Bay area. Like it wasn't like comfortable, especially cause we wanted to be a single income family and that's very hard to do in the Bay area. So that by default made it a little bit tighter for us to live there, but moving to Austin, especially not anymore. I mean, now it's like just expensive here as it is over there, but even just two years ago, it was like, it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, you just took like a 60 pound weight off your chest and like, now you're just like flying here. And so there was this huge culture shift where, you know, we could, we could afford a lot more luxuries. And it was an interesting uh, kind of transition for us because, you know, it's the same concept of like, um, 
uh, that you just that you just articulated like how do you train that resilience to your kids when you know like you're not artificially creating that that environment where they have to fail and i don't i don't really know what that looks like either because i'm the worst at you know um I'm the worst. I'm the worst at being a dad. I'll just say it. <laughs> like if my, if my daughters want something, you know, I'm like, I don't know if you're the same way, but like they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out and they'll figure out a way for me to buckle. And I, I mean, by the sixth or seventh attempt, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, gosh, you know, I'm like gooey gosh. And I just like give in. And my, my wife constantly has to tell me that like, she's like raising three kids, you know, it's like, because <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not a good parent when it comes to like, holding boundaries for some reason. How are you with that? Are you any good with that? Um, I, I have the benefit of being incredibly stubborn, but, but oh, good. I think it's genetic because my older daughter has the benefit of being incredibly stubborn. And so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a tough dynamic when, when I've, you know, I, I, I feel this imperative that, you know, I, I want her to understand that when I say something firmly, I mean it. And so I'll, I'll yeah. double down on it. And so it makes me think hard of like, like, do I really care about this? Is this, is this something that I'm willing to make my stand on? Or is this something I was like, I'm just going to roll over on. And, you know, and this is a challenge that I struggle with regularly, like this week, a handful of times I can recall struggling with it, which is I I actually want my children to understand a truth about the world, which is that most things are negotiable, right? Don't take anything at face value. Mm. Somebody says, no, that doesn't mean no is the final answer. That means figure out a different way to ask, figure out a slightly different thing to ask for. Like this is this is knowledge that I've acquired in my life to serve me really well, um, and I want her to know yeah. it. But at the same time, I want my no to be the final answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how do I find that balance? I don't know. It's probably impossible. Uh, <laughs> this is this is probably where I'm causing psychological damage to my kids. <laughs> Just confusing the crap out of them, you know. I love it. I actually love that you said that because that makes me feel so um, validated and vindicated about my my parenting style. Because I think that you know, like it shows. I guess in my own way, I guess I am kind of teaching them resilience and negotiation and um, tactical strategy in a sense. Because it's not like I give in at the second or third attempt, right? I give in at like the sixth or seventh. So, I mean, these are many iterations of trials, right? They're like testing the, this way, they're testing this way and they have to do a different way and then I give in. And so I feel like if that's the barometer of success, I'm totally nailing it as a dad because dude, I'm totally teaching them resilience. <laughs> Stick with the plan, keep asking a different <laughs> way. <laughs> and no is never a no, you gotta keep trying. <laughs> Oh man, this is the end of my entire podcast. You know that, right? Like, I'm not going to interview any more people because I've just won in life. I'm the best dad in the world. I'm done. Go out on top. I like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go out the bang. That's right. I have this like like vivid memory from um, with with our oldest when uh, you know I guess you could call it sleep training when we were like through that phase where helping her to figure out how to fall asleep on mm-hmm. her own, and um, we had a woman helping us, and she was basically explaining like once you start doing this like you have to commit otherwise the next time is going to be an order of magnitude harder because you will have conditioned them to believe that with enough screaming like parents will come back and they will do whatever i want Mm -hmm. and so that's that's kind of stuck with me i'm like i'm every time i say yes no whatever like the path that i follow i'm conditioning my kids and so like, what am I conditioning them to do? And, and sometimes I have a very thoughtful approach to it. And then sometimes I'm emotional and I just, you know, make snap judgments and, and I don't, 
I don't always love the judgments that I make and looking in hindsight, but you know, I, I keep thinking about like everything we do in parents cumulatively conditions our children and helps them understand what the world is like, and helps them understand how to behave in the world. And I think the stuff that I consciously think that I want to demonstrate for them is only a subset of what I'm actually demonstrating for them. And so this is my worry. And this is where I, the humility comes from. It's like my best of intentions and my best of like thinking and planning are still only going to cover probably like a, a small percentage of my overall actions, my overall interactions with the kids. And so what they're really going to take from me is for better or for worse, me. Uh, and and uh, you know I, I want to give them the best version of that. That's That's my goal. That's amazing. And then how, you're, you're talking about doing that through like how you interact with them. But I mean, like, what about like them watching you work and stuff too? I mean, because as, as we all kind of start working from home, it's been so much more um, unique that, you know, the kids get to see almost, you know, a lot more, at least a lot more of their parents. Um, uh, I mean, there's obviously people that are still going to the office and going to the field, but I feel like there's just been this tremendous sense of like time that, you know, I've been spending at home and they get to see me actually working versus going to the office and coming back at five or six. You know, have you noticed that too? Like them watching you work and reacting to it? I think that that was the case for a little while, but I, I did end up uh, in December, they were off of school for two weeks and everyone was just at home running around and I decided I cannot get any work done here. And so I actually just rented, rented a co-working <laughs> space. And so I've been going into the office. Uh, my wife still works at home. And I think, yeah, yeah I think what, what they know is that Papa works, right? And like, I have to spend time yeah. in that way. That's that's part of my life. Um, and they also, I think, know that I enjoy it and I appreciate that time. It's not like this obligation that I have to do, even though I don't want to. Um, you know, some of the stuff I have to do for work, I definitely know it's not my favorite. But in general, like, I I love work. I want it to be a part of my life forever. When people talk about their dream of retiring, I can't really relate to that. So like, I can't not do stuff. Like, I can't not work towards something. Um, one of the one of the interesting mm. terminologies that um, I was exposed to through through the kids was um, they were in a Montessori program um, maybe a couple of years ago, and they referred to basically everything as work. So like they're doing you know arts and crafts or coloring that's coloring work. They're watering plants that is the plant watering work. And the idea was oh, I'm wow. probably going to like totally butcher like the real Montessori interpretation of this. My takeaway of, of what it was was all of the things we do are work and we can be equally able to find, we are equally able to find joy in all of those things. If we frame it for ourselves in that way, where when I'm watering the plants, I want to do that in a way that's satisfying to me. I want to do that in a way that like, I'm going to do the best job that I can. And so that's no different from, you know, uh, like professional work environment where, you know, if I'm crafting an email, I'd like to craft the email as well as I can. If I am, you know, working yeah. on, uh, you know, any other aspect of, of my business, like I want to put my all into it to do the best job that I can. And I don't think I should differentiate, you know, if I have, you know, I have an email newsletter that I write, like that's work. I have uh, you know, an actual like, you know, business that I, that I lead and like that's work. Like, so all of these together, I, there's, there's this artificial distinction that I think is, is true in society, but like in my mind, I don't, I don't think that's valuable for me. And I, and I want my kids to also not feel like work is this negative thing that has to be done and everything else is play. Like work is really rewarding and great if we think of it that way. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> You're like a philosopher. You're talking about um, changing. Was that, was that profound? I don't know. 
It was good. Yeah, it was really good. You're talking about changing the mindset on even the word and connotations of work, right? So instead of thinking about it as like um, work, you're saying everything is work. It's just a matter of like what you find enjoyment in. It's like you're almost like connotating it with continual improvement or, or um, excellence versus like this task that you do to go do what you really like, right? Which is, I think, what you're you're basically combating against when you talk about it societally, right? And I think so often we are raised to think like that. You know, work is what you do to make money to go go live your life. Where you're just saying like everything could be technically work, and then you're pulling that off from the fact that even like an established mindset or philosophy like Montessori even connotates work as each component being work, and and then you're just kind of expounding upon that. But that's a really good way of looking at it. I I will say that I I, I think it's a little bit profound from my point of view at the very least, um, just because I actually I actually feel very similar to you. Like I don't think you've ever said you. You're saying almost everything that I'm like, wow, that really feels right. I don't know why we're not closer friends at this point because we are like so aligned. But I feel the same way. I love working. I don't know, Pablo, if you know, but like, I don't know how many of these episodes you got in C, but like the reason why I even started this is because I love working so much. It doesn't mean I don't love my kids. I love my kids. I love my kids a lot and I love being a dad, but I, I also love working. Like I love it. And I just was struggling with the societal norm that you know, in order to do this good, you had to like sacrifice time from here. Or if you wanted to be good here, you had to sacrifice time from here. And I'm like, I just, I didn't want to prescribe to that, you know, that societal norm. And so I started, I just, I'm like, someone must have figured this out. And that's why I started this podcast to start interviewing people to ask them how they're solving for it. So it's like fascinating for me to like go almost a full season of the show or actually over a full season of the show and then talk to you about it. And you're like, so eloquently stating stating the 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 core issue that I was trying to solve with this this entire podcast. So very very cool. Um, well, so yeah, that, that makes me wonder. Like, is this podcast work for you? This podcast yeah. is work for me. Yeah, it's work for me, but it's enjoyable work. So, and I'm using that same word in the way that you're using it because um, <clears throat> um, it is work in the sense that not every aspect of it do I enjoy. Like. This is a whole thing, man. This is a job. I mean, people don't realize how much time and money this takes to even run this show. And uh, it's it's a lot of commitment. I mean, there's so many times that I want to stop, you know, and there's so many times. I mean, even within the year, my first season of doing this, like, I'd say at least a dozen times I've wanted to quit. At least a dozen times, you know? And, and so if I've been doing this for 12 months, that's once a month on average that I've wanted to quit doing this, right? And why am I doing this? No one's really listening. No one's watching. And But then every month, the numbers keep going up, right? And so consistently, I'm reaching more and more people. And then I'm like, wait, why am I even trying to reach more people? And then I have to have this whole, like, you know, like self-reflection moment. And then why am I spending all this money to make this thing that doesn't generate any revenue? Or like, it's just fascinating, right? Like, to just unpack these these elements of it. But when I get down to the core of it, that idea of like self-discovery, that idea of meeting new people, that idea of like building this machine and operationalizing it. So now I could do it in two hours a week versus like the 20 hours a week it used to take me. Even that alone feels amazing to me. Like I love that aspect of being able to optimize this and be a really good, uh, at least on the operational side, I'm not a great host yet, but I'm still working on that part. But at least on the operational side, I've already optimized this so much more than it was even just a year ago. And so I do see it as work, but in your connotation of like good work, if that makes sense. And then secondly, I love talking to people, which is something that I uncovered is that the, the number one reason why I'm going to continue doing this, even though it's not, you know, this crazy, like, you know, influential podcast with millions of viewers is because regardless of what, what, what followership I get or viewership I get, I enjoy it. Like, I love talking to people like you, people that are actually building something, doing something, and then asking them these questions It like really like, um, it like fires me up. Uh, it, it like um, inspires me. I like walk away from these shows like 
excited about life uh, and in different ways and different aspects. And then just a little tweak in my mindset or point of view. And it's just like really exciting for me. And so what I've come to the conclusion, at least at this point, after closing season one and going into season two, is that this is much less about money and fame or whatever. It's really just therapy for me. A big part of it's very just like therapeutic for me to talk to other parents, you know, that are building something. What do you think about that? It's relatable. In, in and you know, I mentioned this, this email newsletter. So I started doing this on a whim, basically, um, in, I guess, early 2017. And basically what had happened was um, I... I had subscribed to the very first issue of somebody else's email newsletter. And just because I was there from the very beginning, almost mm. I was like, wait a minute, starting an email newsletter is like kind of a relatable thing now. It's like somebody else just did this. I just watched them do it. And so like, okay, cool. I had always been a pretty big reader of things on the internet. And I'd always been a big share. You know, I'd read something and then if somebody's name would come into mind, I would, I would share it to them in an email. And that sharing never really was like social media sharing. That was never really where I felt like the right venue for it. And so what I realized was like, it was always ad hoc and it was always dependent on like, did I think of that person in the moment when I read it? And so I realized, hey, what if I flip the script a little bit and just like, I'll put all this together once a week into a newsletter and then whoever wants to subscribe can subscribe. Mm -hmm. So I sent an email to like 30 friends and my mom, of course. And I said, hey, I'm going to do this thing. If anyone wants to subscribe, nice. subscribe. Um, and so from the very first week, people are like, yeah, we like this a lot. Like, it's really cool. Um, and it's both, it's just, it's a compilation of things I've read with a little bit of my commentary, some, some excerpts, just, you know, some links. Um, pretty straightforward and simple. And every once in a while, I'll share, you know, my thoughts on some issue that I'm dealing with or thinking about. And then I'll, I'll often share family pictures. Um, so like a little bit of something for everyone in there. If, if you're interested in the same things as me, whether that be professionally or intellectually or socially, like there's something for that. And, um, I had no idea that I would still be doing this thing like, you know, 200 something weeks later, nonstop every single week. Like, and if I had known that that's what I was committing for, I probably wouldn't have done it. But now that I'm in it, I can like, you know what? Hmm. I like the track record. I like it's, it's work. Like it takes hours every single week to put this together on top of actually, you know, thinking about what I want to put in there and, and reading, reading all the things that I put in there. But it's, it's also this kind of creative outlet and creative expression. So it's like, it is a part of the work that I do that helps me create this catalog of information that I really appreciate. I, I hope that 50 years from now, you know, kids, grandkids can see like, oh, I know what Pavel was into because he was talking about this thing way back in like, you know, 2022. And so maybe it's like, hey, talking about gene editing and all this other stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Like now that's super commonplace. Everyone talks about it. But like he was, you know, sharing links about this a long, long time ago. And I don't know, for some reason, that's this aspirational thing where like I create this catalog of knowledge and this, this uh, compounding set of like things that I'm interested in over time and, and adding to each of those themes. Like, oh, I've now learned this aspect. I now think about this differently. Um, but at the end of the day, like the relatable part, I think, was um, it is work. Operationalizing it is kind of fun. Trying to figure out how to do this more efficiently every single time is kind of fun. Um, and and as a way to continue to talk to people, continue to stay in touch with people. That's where I found the most joy because on a, on a daily basis, like there's so much going, you know, there's, we're busy. We've got kids, we've got plenty of responsibilities in life, we've got plenty of responsibilities to our career. Keeping in touch with all the people who we've met over the years is, is a daunting task. And this is one way that I found where it's, it's sort of an organic way to say, hey, I, I'm still here. People respond to me every single week. We have conversations, like 
kind of spur of the moment because of some topic or some interest. And so it's just, it's great in that way. I really appreciate it. I had no idea. I'm going to go subscribe. Uh, when you first mentioned it earlier in the podcast, I was uh, assuming that it meant for like the company that you were an operator for, but now I'm realizing that this is, this is way bigger than that. That's your, that's your kind of connection to yeah. your community. And um, it's like your own personal newsletter. That's uh, you've been doing it for four years. Uh, huh? I put in the math that it's the sixth, it's the sixth year. Um, so again, like, had no idea I'd be doing it for this long. Uh, I probably should have taken a break at some point. I probably yeah. should have done seasons and like taken the summer off, but I've already set the expectation for myself yeah. that I'll keep doing it every week. <laughs> I guess I should, I should tell you what it's called. It's called PS. You should know. Cute. Yeah. I love that. That's also a little punny with your name and initials. That's very good. Very, very good. That is, that is the peak naming of my life. Like I can't do anything better than that. Oh, no, that's epic. I love it. And any future business or entity you should create should definitely be punny like that. That's amazing. My entity is PS Development Corporation. <laughs> yeah. Is it really? Oh my gosh, I love it. So you are doing it that way. That's great. I'm I'm surprised. Uh, you, you know, you know, I have a punny name too for my business, don't you? I, I I took me too long, admittedly too long, to actually figure it out. I think I told you this a few weeks ago. It's like, oh my god, okay. like, you know, I was this many years old when I just when I figured it out. I, I had no idea we had so many parallels and similarities, both in uh, beliefs and values and all, and, and kind of like our tinkerings and stuff. This is so fun. Uh, and you're also, and we also have same age girls. So we should be totally, be, by the time people listen to this, let's, let's commit to being BFFs. Okay. Cause they, well, I hear you have a pool and my kids love pools. I'll just say that, put that out there into the universe. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That could be easily arranged. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to host you guys all the time. Um, but just uh, what, what, what other, what other quick comment, um, just, just cause it was top of mind for me, which was, um, this was an interesting feeling for me. So I sold my business e-comfort in 2015 and that was like the, the thing I was doing exclusively for five years plus. And after I sold it and it was no longer mine, like I still stayed on and, and continued to run it, uh, under the, uh, under the new ownership for a few years through an earnout, But, um, I had this feeling where like, what do I do now? Like, it was just, it was an unpleasant feeling. It's kind of like I was doing this thing and my identity was wrapped up in this thing. And now I'm, I'm no longer, you know, the, the owner of this business. I'm no longer like identified mm. as this in my, in my own mind. And I'm like, well, I don't have anything else going on. And so at that point I kind of made the resolution to myself, like, I never want to have just one thing going on. I always want to have a bunch of overlapping things going on because the next time I sell a business, I don't want to feel that way again. I don't want to feel like, oh, I'm starting over. Like, now what right. do I do? And so the newsletter helps me, I think, in one way, which is like providing continuity that no matter what I do and no matter how long I can do it for, there, there's always multiple tracks to my professional life. There's always multiple things that are going on. And so I never get to, I never have to fall back to be like starting over. Like I don't have anything going on and I've got to start over from scratch. And so, you know, I've learned that not spreading myself so thin, but um, at least diversifying a few different things going on at once helps me feel better about myself. It also helps me perform better at all of the things that I do, because what I've also found is when I work with other people in a collaborative way, I can get real in the weeds, like real in the details. And that's not always pleasant for everyone else around. Like it, it can be useful from time to time, but generally if I'm like, you know, breathing on everyone's neck all the time, that's not good. And by having other things to work on, I'm able to turn my attention elsewhere when the moment calls for it, when it's time for somebody to, to work on something independently and where my, my feedback 
is going to be more like annoying editing than actually moving substantively something forward. I can turn my attention somewhere else and I don't feel like mm. I just, you know, I have to keep doing, I have to keep working. And so I have to keep focusing on this thing. I can instead just, you know, point, point it elsewhere and sort of direct the, the, the stream elsewhere. I have to ask, because this is really interesting. Do you do that same kind of philosophy and concept at work? Do you do that as a dad and as a parent as well? Or do you switch, do you switch who you are a little bit? Because I, I mean, if we're similar on this one too, I'm going to die, but yes, t tell me how you, how you think about that for a second and, and just process the question for a second and then answer it. I think I don't consciously do that, but I do, if I'm, if I'm thinking about it objectively, looking back at sort of how I interact with my kids, I, I will, yeah, I will turn my attention elsewhere if I feel like I am by further meddling, not actually going to achieve something productive. And so I guess as an example, hmm. um, you know, my oldest is, is learning to read, learning, you know, uh, basics of learning, learning letters, learning to identify them. She's also a bit of a comedian. And so like, if you point to a letter that she knows, and it's like, what letter is that? She'll just, she'll just make up like blue. Like she'll just like totally off script, just just say whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think instinctually, I kind of wanted to like, this means I need to like go like lean in and really like work on it with her. And intellectually, I'm like, wait a minute, I think that will be counterproductive. So instead, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just talk about something else. I'm going to change the subject. And so to some extent, I do. Uh, but I think I do it more consciously in a work setting than I do in a parenting setting. I think that's a great take. I mean, especially if you have that ability and I love that you can like, um, understand what you're doing consciously and subconsciously. I think me, it's like, um, I've noticed this. It's, it's very similar in the subconscious, but like, I, I totally try to like operationalize my parenting and kids. I, I don't know how to shut it off. So like the same tactics I play I, on founders and clients and things like that, that I do in my consulting work, I use the same mechanics. It's just that obviously in a different, different, um, uh, different cosmetic because they're kids versus, you know, people trying to navigate million dollar businesses. But, um, the structure of the, the feedback and the coaching is all the same, right? It's like listening to their readiness level, picking up on their cues and then counteracting with what I think is the right, you know, uh, directive or coaching or whatever that may be. And, uh, and I have, kind of, I have to catch myself all the time, right? I have to catch myself all the time doing that because, um, you know, I think in the workplace, especially if you have leverage and, and objectives to achieve, like you can dictate quite a bit, especially if you know what you're doing and you know what the end goal can look like. But the thing I have to constantly remind myself is, is that um, I don't know who my kids are yet, you know, and they're still developing who they are. And I don't want to be the one that frames that up so much. I mean, winding them up so tight may not be the best thing, you know, and I, I'm not saying my parents did that to me, but I feel like uh, in a lot of ways, um, I'm trying to be a little bit better than my parents were for me and then my parents are going to be a little bit better than they were for their kids and so on and so forth right just kind of like improving each generation and and i'm trying to be a little bit more thoughtful about the fact that like we're not we're not you know in uh you know immigrating here from a war-stricken country where you know i'm a, i'm the next generation and I, I grew up in this land and i i was born here and i know it and so trying to provide that extra a layer of like um um openness to, to be creative and to be who you are and trying to allow that to happen so I do have to catch myself quite a bit because it's a natural instinct to just try to optimize everything. And so there were points where I would actually track how many hours I was spending with my kids. And I realized like, why am I doing that? Cause I'm like, Oh, because if I spend more time, like, I don't know. I don't know if that even makes sense to you, but like, I was like operationalizing parents. Oh, I have a, I have a spreadsheet where like every single day I will, like I, I have a bunch of habits and goals that, that I track. And one of them is like, did I, did I hang out with my kids today? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. literally every single day. And so if I'll take like a weekend trip somewhere, like, 
that's a no, no, oh no. And all of a sudden that means like my week has actually like failed my test for the week. And so I, you know, I think about goals in a, in a you know, very metric shipping yeah. fashion, but yeah, no, I op- operationalize that. And I have the same sort of struggle where it's like, I don't want it to feel like I'm checking a box. I'm not hanging out with my kids to check a box, but at the same time, it is important to me to spend time with my that's kids. Right. And that is a system that I've used in the rest of my life to say, Hey, if something's important to me and I want it to be a habit, I know that I have a way that I can like make that work. And so there's that balancing act of like, I, I, I don't want it to turn into, Hey, I'm doing this because I know, you know, I'm going to the gym. Be, like, I, I don't like going to the gym personally all that much, but like I go to the gym because I also know that if I don't yeah. get physical exercise over a long period of time in my 60s, 70s, 80s, like it's good. I'm going to feel the consequences of it. And so like, I'm going to make that investment. Um, and, and so like, I'll check the box yeah. and go into the gym, even though it's not like bringing me great joy spending my time with my kids, I don't think I want to compare those two in that way, right? It's not I'm doing it to check a box. It's I'm doing it for the sake of doing it because like I have chosen to do it because I love my kids and I want to spend time with them and I want to be in their life and I want them to be in my life. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And that makes me feel a lot better about um, um, the way I think about this. We're getting really into, we're getting really getting into it. <laughs> Very personal stuff that we're talking about here. So, so let me let me throw let me throw a riddle let me throw a riddle your way. Yeah, uh, go for it. And ba- it's based on something that you said that I that I thought about, which is, I think we as parents want to do a little bit better for our kids than we experienced growing up. And I guess my belief is that's right. All of the parents I know feel this way. All of our parents probably felt this way mm-hmm. too. Their parents probably felt this way too. Mm-hmm. And so if we really think about the history of humanity, like my, my gut feeling, and I can't prove this, but my gut feeling is that pretty much every parent says like, I'm going to do a little bit better for my kids than my parents did for me. But if we look at it on the whole, it kind of doesn't happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> every generation like continues to have this same struggle. And so this, this is part of that humility thing where it's like, I, I want to uh, be the outlier on this one, but I also know that the base rates are like, yeah, it yeah, might yeah. actually be my my wanting and this desire that ends up being the counterproductive thing that like <laughs> deterring from my, the outcomes that I that I have in mind for my kids. And so I'm always a little bit nervous about that, like meddling too much in yeah. complex systems where like I don't actually know what's going to happen. If I think I'm doing this, maybe I'm actually doing the exact opposite and I won't find out or maybe I'll never find out. Maybe I'll find out 30 years later. That's awesome. <laughs> I like that you took a step back and looked at the macro. Pavel, let me switch gears real quick and ask you some uh, rapid fire questions like to ask all my guests. Okay. So what advice do you have for other parents and soon to be parents? Uh, I have learned to avoid giving advice generally, but I have one piece of advice that I have no problem giving to parents, to young parents and soon to be parents, which is uh, more videos, fewer photos, more videos. Oh my God. That's great feedback. That's great advice. That's absolutely true. I, I completely testify to that advice. That's that's a 100% one. You don't even have to worry about giving that advice. I agree. One more piece of context here. So I gave this advice to a friend whose uh, who's yeah. first, uh, first child is now six months old. I was talking to him this morning and he said, hey, do you know, I don't know if you remember this, but there's one piece of advice you gave me and it was great advice. I said, oh, I remember it because it's the only advice I'll ever give any, anyone in parenting because besides that, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. The one is that Nice. If you can go back and tell yourself one thing before having kids, what would you tell yourself? Oh, um, I don't have a good answer for this one. I feel like I, I, ha- I have to live my life one day at a time and I can't redo it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great, man. So that's, maybe that's what it is. You just tell yourself uh, to live one day at a time. I, well, like I would, I would tell myself stuff, but I wouldn't listen because I'm, you know, pigheaded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get what you mean. <laughs> 
<laughs> now I get what you. That's hilarious. You already know that yourself. If you told yourself before having kids, that 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 self wouldn't listen to you. That's hilarious. Um, what is the most surprising thing that you learned about yourself uh, after becoming a parent? The most surprising thing that I learned about myself after becoming a parent is that I actually um, very much intellectually enjoy children's books. Nice. In what way? I like to pick apart like the various aspects of them and inform opinions about what I like and what I don't like. But like for me, it's kind of it's kind of a sport. Where it's like I know which books I'm going to like and, dra- and gravitate toward, and which ones I don't. I I know there are some popular books. And I'm like I don't like this book, and there are some that are probably no one's ever heard of. I'm like I think this book does a really great job. But again, with the humility, like the ones that my kids will opt for are not necessarily the ones that I think are the greatest. <laughs> and so, what what do I do? That's wild. And what are you picking apart? Like what the what the writer was trying to convey, the lesson they were trying to convey in the book or the entertainment value or like what are you breaking apart here? What are you assessing this on? I Well, I think about language choices. Um, I think every creator starts with a blank canvas and they make choices. And those choices sometimes are conscious, sometimes they're subconscious. And so when I read a book, I'm thinking about what like I'm making conjectures about like what was the author thinking when they phrased it this way versus that way. I also have a really strong preference for, for young kids for books that rhyme and rhyme well um, and think, you know, books that I think have positive messages without like just blasting you in the face with positive messages where it's kind of, it's kind of subtle. You can pick up on it. There's layers to it. Um, so I think those are the types of things that I, that I tend to look at. And then I, just, I look mm. at illustrations and, and have opinions on those as well. Oh, wow. Are we, are we going to see a, um, a children's book here in the future by Pavel? I wrote a really crappy one once, but it's it's not going anywhere. It's not worth it. But uh, it was a it was a pipe dream of mine. I'm like, wait a minute, I should do this. Okay, cool. I probably shouldn't do this. I don't I don't know that the world needs this, but uh, I, I love the concept of it. You totally should, especially if you're so into it. No, you do you do need to do it. You do need to do it. We need more children's book. I mean, like we're yeah we're huge readers in this house, so you should totally do it. Uh, speaking of books, what's your favorite uh, business book or all-time book? It doesn't matter, actually, any kind of book. What's your favorite book of all time? My favorite book of all time. Um, the the one that I guess I read as a child that stuck with me that, you know, I've always, this has been my default answer for what's been my favorite book of all time. It's The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Um, I've since read a number of his other books. Um, I, I kind of just like the setting. I like the the plot. It's, it's you know, it's very it's very nuanced and there's a lot to be learned from, from that, that detail of the plot. Uh, I, I think you, you warned me on the question earlier and I have a the favorite business book answer as well. And that's the hard thing about hard things by uh, Ben Horowitz, which when I read it, it was like, just smack me in the face with emotion. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. That's exactly how I felt. There's like so many parallels. Like, like I feel like we're in the, like the, we're reenacting the movie <laughs> Step Brothers here. Like that's my favorite business book of all times. So, yeah, and that's exactly the same reaction. I was like, oh, that feels so right. I, someone just totally articulated this so correctly. It's amazing. Um, that's fantastic. So last question to bring us home. Uh, when you're not being a super dad and trying to teach your kids resilience and all, all these other great values of, of what work means, um, and you're not working on your newsletter or other business ventures and advising founders, uh, what do you do for fun? Either I'm like on my phone reading something, so not necessarily like something important, but just something, or I'm spending time with friends and family. So, you know, kind of one of those two things. Sometimes I mix the two and I'm like in a group of friends and I'm just like sitting there on my phone and that's not my favorite, not, not my favorite look, but, um, <laughs> it's kind of a reality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So you're always consuming something. I have a hard time 
slowing down. So there's one one last like fun analogy. So I have a good friend from Chicago, and we at some point I think were uh, this was years ago, um, like probably a decade. But we were on like a double date, and we went to the Museum of Science and Industry, and they had this uh, exhibit there where you put on a helmet with some electrodes that measures your brain activity. And there's a table between the two participants, and there's a ball in the middle, and the ball rolls in either direction based on who is able to like lower the activity of their brain. And so the idea is like, if you're able to get in sort of a Zen meditative state, you're at, your brain waves will slow down, the ball will move away from you. And once the ball crosses a line, you win the game. So there's like, we're, we're standing there watching, mm. there's these two like seven-year-old kids, like hyperactive seven-year-old kids playing this game. And you kind of see it going back and forth. And then um, my, my friend and I take our next turn and we're both entrepreneurs. We're both like, you know, just kind of, always moving, always doing something. And we put these headsets on. And for a solid minute, we're both just like peaked, like maxed out on the graph. Like the ball's not going anywhere. It's stuck in the middle. And then, uh, you know, after after a minute, he find, he kind of finds it in him and his graph like dips maybe like 10% and the ball just slowly rolls and I lose the game. <laughs> just watching this happen, I'm like, oh no. I've since started a meditation practice that, that probably fallen off the wagon in the last couple of months but like i'm i'm practicing I'm, I'm trying to learn how to slow it down but by nature i just need to keep moving i love it pablo this was an amazing interview and i'm like so glad that um we had this time to talk and connect and get to know each other better i am so pleasantly surprised that uh we're, we're so similar uh in so many ways and, and in a much deeper way than i even realized so I'm very excited that this this podcast brought us together uh, even closer than we already are. And I look forward to continuing our relationship even beyond this podcast. 100%. I feel the same way. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, brother. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Girl Dad Show. Please take a moment to follow us on social media. You can find us at The Girl Dad Show on all major platforms. We look forward to staying in touch and keeping you up to date with all the new guests that are coming out.